Hello and welcome to Women of the Middle East podcast. Women of the Middle East. This podcast relates the realities of Arab women and their rich and diverse experiences. It aims to present the multiplicity of their voices and wishes to break overdue cultural stereotypes about women of the Middle East. My name is Amal Malki. I'm a feminist, scholar, and educator. This is Women of the Middle East podcast. Hello, and welcome to season six of Women of the Middle East podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, Shuruq Amin. Shuruq, welcome to Women of the Middle East podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for being with us. I'm lucky to host and converse with women who dared to take over and control their own narrative. And you are one who has done this and more. You've embodied different creative modalities to rewrite your own story and redefine your own identity uh, and simultaneously reimagine new realities for other women. Uh, I want to keep your impressive bio aside and ask, how do you describe yourself to begin with? Oh my gosh, <laughs> why are we starting with how I describe myself? It's a loaded question. I guess for me, it's, it summarizes very simply in that I went from a place many years ago where I was either a woman or an artist or a mother or, and now I'm in a place where I, my identity is all of these things. I am a, an artist, a mother, a woman, a daughter, a sister, a rebel, peaceful, freedom fighter, whatever you want to call the ceiling smasher. All of these things are all encompassed in one identity, which is the identity of the human being and the soul that is me. I don't differentiate between them. They are all, they've all learned and transformed over the years and all merged into this one entity. And that's yes. how I, I see it. I've just started uh, writing my first non-academic book, uh, which is based on personal accounts, really, and experiences. And my technique is to extract certain themes around which my whole life has revolved, basically, uh, and through which my story can be told. So in this season, I apply this strategy to my discussion with the, the, the amazing ladies I talked to. And therefore, our conversation uh, will focus on certain main themes that I've extracted from your own story. And it's amazing how our stories really intersect. Uh, so let's begin, of course, by our gender identity. The first theme is on being a woman. What does it mean to be a woman? And from the specific uh, area of ours, uh, we both belong to the uh, Arabian Gulf, Kuwait and Qatar. Uh, yeah. There are many commonalities between us uh, and differences, definitely. Mm -hmm. So how do you describe yourself as a Kuwaiti woman? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think of it as a dichotomy, really. Being a woman is a strength and a weakness at the same time. It is empowering, but also can be humiliating based on the situation you're in and where you are and who you're dealing with. It can be an advantage and it can be a disadvantage. So this is what I've learned is that we cannot say that being a woman is one way or another. However, I'm very connected to my, my own feminine spirit, my own femininity. I'm very connected to being a woman. I love being a woman. I totally take advantage of the power that being a woman gives me, especially after being a mother. And I think being 
a mother really made me stronger. And I know a lot of people think it's actually a weakness because your kids are your weakness. Of course, they are my weakness. They're my Achilles heel. If something happens to them, I'm devastated. But it's also my strength because I want a world where I f- that I feel is safe for my children to grow up in. So everything I do, I do it for the sake of the fact that I am a mother and I have children. I do not want them to go through the things that I went through, the struggles I went through to reach this place of confidence and empowerment. I want to pave the way for them. I want to be a role model for them. And I want to show them that, yes, you can be different. You may not always fit in. You may not be the same as the others, but there is also advantage in that because you can, that means that is your special power. That is your superhuman power. And that is what you're offering to the world. So I feel that actually being a woman and especially being a mother, it really is what gave me the strength and fearlessness to speak up as an artist. So again, they are all intersected. They are all one identity. They are all one thing. And that place of being an artist who is also a single mother is actually the place that gives me the most fear and the most power and courage because I feel the fear and I, but I do it anyway. Right. But yeah, I think it's definitely one of the things that comes to mind is that if I had been a male artist, would I have gotten the backlash that I did? Would I have gotten the, would I have been berated as much? Would I have been criticized as much? Would I have been, would my shows have been shut down if I had been a male artist? No, definitely not. And there, therein lies a different argument, of course. Now, again, going back to being a woman from Kuwait, how did gender roles and expectations play a role in you becoming an artist, a mother, a rebel, like they call you, given the fact that those gendered roles don't automatically lead to where you have become, right? Yeah, not at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I grew up hearing that art is just a hobby. I grew up hearing, no, you can't say this. No, you can't do this. As a child, it wasn't necessarily from a place of bad intent. It was just how the culture is, how society is. Even in the West, it was like that at a certain point in time. Girls are supposed to do this. Boys are supposed to do this. Girls are supposed to play the Barbies. Boys are supposed to play the football. And there was a lot of division. I grew up in the 80s. (laughs) The 70s and 80s. It's all about those gender roles defining exact distinct gender roles, male, female, blue, pink. It was all about that. So Mm -hmm. it was especially difficult to speak up and especially difficult to know deep down that, no, but I don't think this way. I don't feel this way. I think like this and society is telling me I shouldn't and I'm feeling this way and society is telling me I couldn't. And so it was always an uphill struggle. It was a constant uphill struggle. And I could see that one way of surviving in society was to go with the flow and to conform and not ruffle feathers or rock the boat. And I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And that's why I was always labeled a rebel, even at school, even just as a student. I just could not be not myself. I could not be authentic to myself. I just never had it in me. And I don't know if it's an inbuilt thing, Or what? Because I certainly wasn't raised this way. I was raised to conform. 
And I just couldn't. I just could not do it. I, I drove my mom insane. Drove her crazy. It was always a struggle between me and my mother growing up because of this. She just wanted me a good. She wanted me to be a nice little girl who just got married and had kids. And eventually, I did get married and have kids, but it wasn't the way she expected it, and it wasn't mm-hmm. her plan. And so, yeah, definitely, gender roles are huge. And I find that now we live in a world where it's the complete opposite, and there is uh, everything is non-binary, and there's non-divisions, and everything is free-flowing. And so now it's a different world and my kids are living in a different world. So obviously girls who are growing up now may not necessarily feel those struggles as much, but still there are in our societies, there are smaller communities within societies that this expansion, the collective expansion does not reach them. And Mm -hmm. those are people that, that message me. These are the girls and the boys that send me DMs or emails and need my help or just thank me for my voice or something like that. That you mentioned your mom. I want to jump to the second theme, which is hybridity. And this is something that we both share as well. The first thing is that we grew up in the 70s and 80s in this part of the world where gendered roles were very specific. Mm -hmm. And I like the fact that this was you all through. But being a hybrid, your father is Kuwaiti, your mom is Syrian. My father is Qatari, my mom is Lebanese. Being hybrid enables you to critique your culture with a combination of distance, but Mm -hmm. still intimacy, right? You mentioned the mom, that Mm -hmm. the mom is the change factor. Mm -hmm. Although our moms, and I'm assuming Mm -hmm. now you can correct me if I'm wrong, are the ones who wanted us to conform the most. Yes. Because they were outsiders. Yes. Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Because they made it harder for us. Mm -hmm. If they hadn't, if they let us embrace our hybridity early on, I think life would have been easier. But because of the fact they wanted us to conform so much so they wouldn't be blamed for us being different. That's uh, it. (laughs) <laughs> right? The, the, the identity crisis was yes. harsher. Much harsher. The irony is that you would think have, being a hybrid and having a Syrian mom, Kuwaiti father, meant that things were, coo- I was coo- things were cooler at home. Not yes. at all. It was the complete opposite. In fact, my father was the cool guy, the good cop, and my mom was the bad cop, the strict one, the one who, she was so fearful to be judged as a Syrian or a non-Kuwaiti, that she made sure that we adhere to everything Kuwaiti and everything local and everything conforming to society. She was so strict about all of these things because she wanted to be seen in a good light. Yeah. And while my father was alive, this wasn't as overpowering, let's say, because mm. we would get away with murder with my dad. He was the kindest, gentlest soul. But when he passed away, and his kind of peaceful, uh, unconditionally loving influence wasn't there anymore. And all the attention was on my mom as a single Syrian mom raising Kuwaiti children alone. There was so much pressure from the family, uh, close family and extended family on her. How is she going to raise this? How is this Surya going to raise these So there was even more pressure. I don't blame her. There was so much pressure on her to be seen in a certain way and to live up to the expectations of 
being the wife of a Kuwaiti and the mother of Kuwaiti kids, that poor woman, she also had her own struggles in that sense, that she had to really be extra strict. And in being extra strict and not understanding of what we were going through, especially as we were in British schools and our education was co-ed education at a time in Kuwait where all the schools were uh, not co-ed. All the schools were males or females, and our school was one of maybe three schools in the entire country that was a co-ed school. Growing up in that environment where, for me, boys were like my brothers, I didn't see them in a weird way, grew up as brothers and sisters and friends, she, she didn't accept any of that. For her, it was still no. You know, boys are no, girls separate, boys separate, that sort of thing, and the clothes I was more open with the way I dress. She tried to make me dress more modest, all of these things. So many things, even art. My, my talent for art was my dad's and my teachers noticed it when I was seven years old. And by 13, I was painting in oils already and was winning awards at school. So it was obvious that I had some kind of an innate talent that I wasn't nurturing. I wasn't growing because I wasn't aware of it. And she made me even more, see even more that this is just a hobby. It will never be more than a hobby, especially for a girl. Yeah. So yeah, it was very difficult. And no, it was not an advantage. And in fact, I don't know much about my Syrian culture. I hardly even went to Syria. And this I'm talking before the war. This is when mm-hmm. Syria was really flourishing and people were going there and the culture and the literature and the poetry and the art was amazing. Yeah. I still wasn't going there. I still didn't. I, I had so many family there. I still didn't go and I maybe went twice in my whole life. So the two interrelated uh, themes, of course, being a hybrid woman. Let me uh, read this paragraph from your bio. And I'm going to stand on two things. Amin continues to push boundaries. Aren't we just tired with pushing boundaries? <laughs> Isn't it time for us to break through those boundaries? Well, it means to be an Arab Muslim woman and a mother. Break stereotypes, of course, but also for a woman in her 50s to live outside of the sociopolitical box that she was born and bred into. Shuruq, I take my hat off to you. My 50s are just around the corner and I started reading. I was forced to read with monopause and all that because I had no information whatsoever. First thing I did is looked at other writers, found bits and pieces, but still not grounded, not something that I can take as a reference, but nothing really substantial Hmm. that would answer my questions. So let's speak about the 50s. A woman who dares to speak about her 50s, for God's sake. It's about time. The 50s, the unspoken changes Hmm. that women go through. Inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me, what made you embed that huge, powerful statement in your bio? And how is this reflected in your art? What could you tell me as a, a an Arab Gulf woman, mm. whom even my mom couldn't answer my questions, to what does 50s look like? Is it really the age of empowerment or hope or is it age of despair? But why do we have to redefine? Why do we ha- Why does it have to be anything at all? My point is, it makes no difference. My age on my passport, the numbers on the passport, do not coordinate with how I feel and what my body is telling me. Because I'm I'm fitter than I was in my 20s and 30s, way more fit. I can do 
all sorts of yoga pauses and Pilates things and stick my feet above my head that I couldn't do when I was 20. I eat better. I have more energy, believe it or not. I, I feel amazing. I take care of my skin. My skin is fantastic. It's better than it ever was. Sure, I'll go get the Botox and get a filler here and there once in a while, a couple of times a year. But who doesn't these days? Exactly. Uh, but that's not what's going to make you young. That's not it. You can go and get a facelift and get hair extensions and do the liposuction and do all of that. It's not going to make you young if you're not young on the inside. It is what is on the inside. And let me tell you, on the inside, I am still 18 <laughs> with the wisdom of a woman in her 50s. Okay. I wake up and I have this feeling that something magical is going to happen. Something exciting is going to happen. I don't know what it is, but I know it's around the corner. I am very spiritual. I am very connected. I do, as soon as I wake up, I do a meditation in bed with my eyes closed and I visualize my future. I visualize my, my husband, my future life partner, the love of the rest of my life, still looking for him. It's just, it feels great. I know that there are so many places I want to see, so many places I want to go, so many things I want to do. My next project is I want to learn how to DJ. I want to be able to DJ and mix music and stuff. I do a lot of things on the side. I have, by the way, I have certificates in being a boat captain. I'm actually a hoy captain, like wow. I'm licensed, okay? I have a certificate and a license in Pilates for all the machines. I have a certificate in interior design and decorating. What else do I have? In Feng Shui consultation. <laughs> like wow. I dabble in a lot of things besides being an artist and a poet and a mentor and a mother and all of these things. So yeah. clearly I'm not a person who sits around and wastes time. I use my time very efficiently. My time is so precious to me and I don't feel I can put my head on a pillow and sleep at night unless in that day I've done three things. I've done the, I've told the people that I love them and that means all my four kids and anyone else out there. I've done one thing that I can be proud of that day and that I laughed at least once. So if I've had a day without these, one of these three things, it's not a good day for me. And that's just for me, how I balance my, my, my soul. That's how yeah. I balance it. That I laugh today. So there's a lot to be grateful for. Gratitude is absolutely important, but that comes with the meditations that I do in the morning. I'm always just grateful that I woke up. It's a yeah. miracle to wake up. And guess what? It's a privilege to be in my fifties because what is the alternative? Death. The alternative <laughs> is death. Okay, everyone out there is going to get old, if you're lucky. If you're lucky, you're going to get old. It is an absolute privilege to get old. But the only thing is, how are you aging? And yeah. how we are aging is very important. People who give up, sit at home, retire and sit at home. By the way, technically I am retired because I was teaching at Kuwait University and I retired from teaching. That doesn't mean I retired from life. No, okay? no, I'm no, doing more now than I've ever done when I was a professor at Kuwait University. People who give up and they feel old in, within them, in their soul, they're like, oh, I'm too old to wear this. I'm, Honey, I'm wearing miniskirts and cowboy boots. Okay. <laughs> I work hard for these legs and they are going to be seen in a miniskirt and cowboy boots. Okay. <laughs> Life is beautiful. It's fantastic. There's so much to do and it really is. And 
I have this dream of being a philanthropist and starting my own foundation and I want to help all the orphans and I want to help yeah. all the kids. And I, yeah. I really want to do volunteer work and I really want to do big like United Nations work. I just haven't mm. had the opportunity yet. However, I'm going to save this to the end of the podcast. An opportunity did fall in my lap yesterday, but we'll talk about it at the very end. Everything you said, Shirok, is beautiful. And this is why I am having this conversation with you, because we need to start having this conversation. Our generation needs to redefine what 50s mean. Remember, exactly. uh, our, our mothers at 30 felt yeah. old because yes. they got married so yes. early, right? Yes, it's different. I, it's I, I feel very young and yes. I feel that, oh my God, I have so many things to do. I haven't done exactly. it yet. I've done st- certain things that will be always a part of my legacy, but there's much more to be done. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And the great thing about being at this age is that you have experience and wisdom and exactly. yet... At the same time, you have the energy, you have the youthful soul, you have the the willfulness. So you have the best of both worlds. This is why for me, one of the very, very important causes that I always, if someone asks me, I always participate in is things related to periods and menstruation and all of these things. So I've, I've contributed and participated in many projects that are awareness projects of menstruation in, in the world. Some of them were very big projects where they go to different villages and they try to help the girls be more open about their periods and provide san- sanitary pads and things like that and all of these things. And I've done a lot of artworks on periods and bleeding. I've done a lot of poems. I've written a lot of poems about the taboo of the period. And I've written about the beauty of that red you know, that red flow and that blood, because that is where life comes from. That is where, you know, it's, um, it's passion, it's life, it's uh, um, transformation, it's growth. So there's nothing to be ashamed of and there's nothing to be embarrassed or uncomfortable about. And the more we talk about it, the more we normalize it. And the, yeah, this exactly. is a very important conversation. Absolutely. Now, the second uh, point in, in that paragraph was being a rebel, right? And which you're usually uh, described as the woman activist, the rebel pushing boundaries. Is this what you want to push boundaries? It's not about what I want. I honestly didn't go out of my way to do any of this stuff. For me, it all started with, you know, feeling this is very unjust. Yes, I know the world is not fair. However, I can say something about it. I can do something about it. And that's how it started for me. For me, that's where all the paintings and the art stemmed from. It stemmed from this sense of kind of anger and injustice and frustration and my hands tied that I can't really speak up. And so I made my art speak up for me. I created these paintings that spoke up visually very boldly. And I had no clue of the domino effect or the consequences. I had no clue of the impact. I, I didn't set out for that result or that impact. And so when I found myself, you know, years within the next few years after the first shutdown of my first show, then the second shutdown of my second show, and it became a pattern that they are trying to silence me. They are out yeah. to get me. It's not a one-time thing. It's a pattern. For me, that's where I accepted, I released the resistance and accepted the role of spokesperson for freedom of expression, spokesperson for the underrepresented voices, spokesperson for the abused women, spokesperson for the LGBTQ community, all of it. I accepted because I was thrown in that role. I Mm -hmm. was thrown, please come and speak about this. 
please, you're invited to do this. Please, you're invited to speak here. With time, with me just organically doing all of these things and participating in all of these causes, I instinctively just became it. And I, yeah. and I just accepted it. And now I'm just flowing with it. It works because and until now, I don't know why, but apparently I'm fearless, but I don't feel I'm fearless. I don't know. That neural pathway in your brain that tells you to be quiet when you're supposed to be quiet or to say, to not say this thing in the presence of these people doesn't exist in my head. That's it. And I don't care about the consequences. I don't ever do anything thinking about consequences in the sense that when I'm creating art, I'm not thinking, oh, what if it gets shut down or what if they ban this painting? Okay, let me make it a little bit more comfortable for them. No, I don't want them to be censored. Mm. I don't self-censor. Mm. I don't want to comfort anyone. If you're uncomfortable yeah. seeing the painting, it means you see yourself in the painting. If yeah. you're uncomfortable reading the words of this poem, it means mm -hmm. you are relating to the character in this poem and yeah. so on. I have no qualms about speaking the truth and exposing hypocrisy and criticizing and giving my point of view and my opinion. And yeah. I don't have a problem with it. And a lot of people tell me, but aren't you scared? And what about your kids and this and that? But no, my kids, I need to be this way precisely because I have kids, not in spite of precisely because I have kids. I have to be even more this way because I'm trying to show my kids that don't silence yourself. Don't censor yourself. Don't, as they say, dim your light to make other people comfortable and shine yeah. bright so that they can shine. So yeah, and stand no. for what you believe in. And you do. And so you're an activist by default. Yeah. And you are keen on engaging all your audiences and all of their senses. And this is what makes you very unique, right? Because you are an artist, you're a poet, you're a storyteller, you're many things uh, at the same time. A female activist practicing her agency to resist and defy, trailblazer, creating a new path for activism. You're not intentionally there to anger them, but you no. are. Yeah. exposing the hypocrisy in our societies you yeah. are and this is yeah. going to anger them and let them be angry let yeah. them yeah and let you are exposing the injustices right yeah exactly it, 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 from very basic things like virginity mm -hmm. why are girls still being killed in honor killings because they lost their virginity when their brothers are screwing around randomly no if you're following religion and you're following what is supposed to be forbidden or not forbidden, it's not okay for both girls and boys. But yeah. our culture is not applying that. They blame it on Islam, but actually Islam didn't say that. So the, that's why there's misconception of things that are, the, the West think, oh, because they're Muslim, they're doing this. No, no, this is not, an, this is not a Muslim thing. This is a cultural thing. And <laughs> I did a painting about virginity and about how, you know, I parody these men who are like, no, she has to be a virgin. She can't get married till she's a virgin. Even mothers propagate it. Mothers help it as well. But then why are your sons not? Do you think art can change the status quo? Absolutely. I've hmm? seen it. I've seen it and it's shocking for me how much art has changed things. Because after, after my work got out, and ironically, thanks to the censorship, it got out on an international level and it got picked up on the West. And... I've seen the impact in specifically, let's take, for example, a shred in time, a period in time after my first shutdown, where the first time they shut down one of my shows. After that, 
a lot of panel discussions popped up in the country about censorship in art, censorship in literature, all of these things. A lot of debates took place, peaceful debates. A lot of people went walking in the streets, carrying banners. There's a lot of, suddenly people woke up, suddenly people were talking. All of this happened because of my exhibition, because of my paintings. So absolutely, it can be more powerful than actual politics because people trust the artist more than they're going to trust the politician. As an artist, my goal was never politics. My goal was never to get into politics. My goal was to open a dialogue of these taboo topics in society in the hope that by talking about them and normalizing them, that maybe now we can create some change, some bylaws, some regulations. Things can slowly progress and get better because people are more, more open to discussion. And even in the last, yeah. my, my last show, the recent one in 2020, right before COVID, January 2020, I wanted to have this discussion with the Naqabi women, that why can't we have a discussion together? Why can't we be friends? Why is this something that's not going to make us mm -hmm. friends? I don't understand. Mm -hmm. You can have your ideas, I can have my ideas, but at the end of the day, we're two good people. We can be friends and we can have a conversation. So I brought her into my show symbolically by having these the uh, like sculptural mannequins within the show. They're part of the show, so actually people came in and they thought they were real human beings. Mm. And they would actually try to interact with them. And then they realized, oh, it's the statue. It's not going to talk. And I, that was one of the reasons why it was shut down, not just because there was alcohol in the paintings. It was that, the cultural conversation. And again, because they didn't take the time to bother to ask, what is this? What are we seeing? What are we supposed to understand here? They didn't take that time to ask. They just saw something they didn't understand, made them uncomfortable. Oh my God, is she making fun of us? And they shut it down. Wow. You know? So no, I was not making fun of anyone. I have absolute respect for every culture, every language, every religion, every habit, every uh, superstition. I completely have respect for all of that because I do understand that a lot of this is how you grew up, how you were raised, the things you were exposed to. I was just trying to open this dialogue. I truly believe that we should be able to talk about things in order to be able to fix problems and heal society. We, we are in, in, in our society, we have a lot of trauma regarding what is called this word, shame, mm. the shaming word. We grow up with a lot of shame, a lot of guilt. And yeah. it takes us, honestly, it took me decades to finally reach a place in my 50s where I'm finally not guilty for anything, not shame, ashamed of anything. And I'm empowered and I'm free with my sexuality, free with my sensuality. And I talk openly, transparently about it because somebody has to. That's yeah. another conversation that it has to happen in our society for women. How do you protect yourself? How do you protect yourself physically, emotionally during those kind of hate attacks? Mm. And mm. all of us, maybe in the Gulf, it's a new thing. Yeah, it is. It is. It is new. Yeah, it is new. Mm. It is new and it's, it's part of social media. It came mm. with social media because social media makes you anonymous. So mm. if you look at these haters, the haters that send me death threats, 
a lot of disgusting words and cussing and all of this. They're anonymous. They're, they don't have accounts. You don't know who they are. And that anonymity gives them the strength and courage to say whatever they want. If don't be a coward, put your real name, who are you, and I will talk to you. And I will have a conversation with you about why I said this or why I did this. Or, But no, they will never reveal themselves. They're cowards. They're cowards. They're trolls. So in the beginning, well, the first time when I started getting these nasty messages, I was really scared. I was scared. I was depressed. I cried, blah, blah, blah. And I just started blocking, block, oh my God, like thousands of people blocked. I got off social media for a while and came back on, etc. Now it, um, no, it doesn't bother me at all because now I know that they're the ones with an issue. They're the ones who have a problem. They are the cowards. Their opinion is worth nothing. They are absolutely worthless. And if they were, and there are people who criticize me with their name and the, they, the, the, their personalities, I will respond to them. Mm -hmm. I will have a conversation with them. And even if they, yeah, or they cuss me out or say some nasty word to me, I will talk to them without lowering myself. Mm -hmm. I maintain my, I'll I maintain my grace mm -hmm. and I always keep in the back of my mind, they don't know better. They're scared. Yeah. Yeah. People, they say hurt people. These mm -hmm. are people who are hurt, who are scared. These are people who are so worried about losing their language, losing their culture, losing yes. their habits, their traditions. You always hear the word, adatu taqalid, adatu taqalid. They're so yeah. worried about that, that yeah. they will fight anyone that seems to threaten that. But I responded to that with a painting. And the painting was of a mother with hijab. And she's opening the eyes of her little boy. Yes, I saw yeah, that. Yeah, the red painting. And Beautiful. this one is really is a response to all that, that you can hold on to your adat and taqalid. You can hold on to your traditions and culture and your language and your religion. You can still be all that while raising an open-minded human being. Yes. You are not mutually exclusive. I so love the painting. I really love it. Thank you. And Thank I know because you also have boys, right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. And that's why it's very important for me as a mother to two boys, I'm, I have two boys and two girls, as a mother to these two boys, that they see that this is their mother. That exactly. is really important for me. You said something at the beginning, yes, we got scared. The same uh, happened with me. And I've been publicly attacked several times. The last attack was around a year and a half, two years ago. I didn't run away this time. Uh, mm. I didn't hide. On the contrary, I accepted every public invitation during that period. Mm. I reached out to women I look up to and they made me feel sane again. Yeah. And I made myself accessible to. Yeah. So other women would reach me and show their support because I felt that this was the most fulfilling thing. Yeah. To see the support around us from women who understand why we're doing that. This is where I want to know more about what's next. What's next for you? Okay, so I am preparing for two shows for next year. The subject I'm trying to tackle this time and, and open a dialogue about, it, it's all about women. and it's not, It doesn't have any men there. And it's all about reclaiming our power from the past because we are so connected to our past and we're so connected to our culture and our traditions. And there seems to be the struggle. Society is not able to marry the two. I'm going to show them how you can marry the two. I'm going to help them find a way. It's a, 
a little bit of a solution, a little bit of a healing. So it's a little bit different for me in that sense, but it's obviously a, a, an organic development of from where I came to where I'm going. Mm. So, because a lot of people say, oh, but you're always giving and showing the problems. Why don't you show solutions? Or, I don't have the answers. I, I, I'm not a magician. I don't have the answers, but I am going to show what I believe will heal, let's say. So that's what I'm doing. It's something about women reclaiming their power from their past. And, and will also, I get an invitation? Absolutely, of course. <laughs> inshallah, definitely. I'll inshallah. be there. Yeah, inshallah, inshallah. And in terms of activism, I haven't announced it anywhere yet, by the way. I'm announcing it for the first time with you. I've been invited to be part of the World Liberty Congress, which is like a peaceful, nonviolent, freedom fighting organization. And it was founded by some extremely extremely powerful and brilliant leaders like Gary Kasparov, the Russian dissident and the chess player, and Leopold Lopez, the uh, Venezuelan opposition leader. There's some amazing names. There's amazing people who founded this. And it's very new. It was founded last year, apparently. Uh, and it has been created to fight for freedom and fight for human rights. And they want leaders in every region of the world to represent. And so they've invited me to come in November to the Congress and to represent Kuwait as part of the MENA region. There will be six of us, six leaders from the MENA region. One of them is me for Kuwait. And I'll be working with them, with NGOs, with world leaders, with the charities, traveling the world and just helping. So I'm really excited about this. And they invited me there was a paragraph they sent as part of the invitation that really it really warmed my heart and made me validated and made me feel like everything I'm doing <sighs> and they said something along the lines of we are recognizing you for the work you've done as a yeah. peaceful nonviolent freedom fighter and, and so on and so that really is huge for me so I'm really excited about this I haven't told anyone about this yet Congratulations, it's deserved. Uh, you'll be representing Arab women, yeah. uh, really, because it is important what the, what you do, and it's very important that we all come together and have one voice, but a voice that really takes in all of our differences too. Because after all, we are we all want the same thing. We want social yes. justice. We want yes. gender equality. Mm -hmm. We want dignity. Right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. the differences shouldn't keep us apart. Yeah. And I always say this, exactly what you just said. I always say, all of us human beings, at our core, we all want the same things. We all want to be loved. We all want shelter. We all want enough food. We all want to not worry about money. And we all want to take care of our loved ones and families and find our purpose. That's it. All of us, every single human being, whether it's a baker or a gas station attendant or a CEO or an actress or at the core of it, we all want these basic things. True, true. It's a pleasure to have you on Women of the Middle East podcast. Welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me in the club. We grow the support system and we grow the circle. And as you said, all of us, our voices Each one of us has a voice. Each one of us is speaking. This is a start. This is the growth. This is the development. Moving on to a fantastic future.
Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. This is Women of the Middle East podcast. Thank you for listening and watching. To stay up to date with Women of the Middle East podcast, you can subscribe and don't forget to rate us. If you would like to contact me directly, you can do so on Instagram or via email.